And so it's, it's amazing to me how this, how this impacts our life. Galatians chapter five, verse one says this. It says, stand fast therefore in the liberty by which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. But faith, working through love, is really what we're looking for. Can you say amen? I want to read that to you in the message translation, I think it's gonna, it's gonna help it make a little bit more sense to you this morning. Galatians chapter five, one through six in the message translation says this. Christ has set us free to live a free life. Hang on, my iPad is loading, you stinking thing. Christ has set us free to live a free life. So take your stand. Never again let anyone put a harness of slavery on you. I'm emphatic about this. He says, the moment any one of you submits to circumcision or any other rule-keeping system, at that same moment, Christ's hard-won gift of freedom is squandered. I repeat my warning. The person who accepts the ways of circumcision trades all the advantages of the free life in Christ for the obligations of the slave life of the law. I suspect you would never intend this, but this is what happens when you attempt to live by your own religious plans and projects, you are cut off from Christ and you fall out of grace. Meanwhile, we expectantly wait for a satisfying relationship with the Spirit. For in Christ, neither our most conscientious religion nor disregard of religion amounts to anything. What matters is something far more interior, faith expressed in love. Come on, are you free people this morning? Has Christ set you free? Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. So Jesus, we thank you for the opportunity to hear your word today. We give you glory and honor for everything you're doing. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said amen. amen. Freedom thieves. One of, the, one of the first things I see in this scripture is that it's possible to be free, but go back again to the yoke of bondage. It reminds me of the people of God in Exodus when they were brought out of slavery. They were set free Moses had delivered them by the mighty hand of God, and here they are, a free people, but now they're complaining because when you get free, there are certain things that take place that weren't taking place in their bondage. Now, all of a sudden, their food is coming from a different place. Now, all of a sudden, their sustenance, everything, their, their life and livelihood are coming from a different place. When they were in bondage, they knew where their meals were going to come from. They knew where their clothes were going to come from. They knew where their house was gonna be and all of that was set. And sometimes, one of the greatest enemies to your faith is familiarity. Sometimes you get comfortable in a place and then God wants to move you into another place but we don't wanna go because it was so much more comfortable back here until all of a the sudden, they're saying we'd rather be back in Egypt in bondage than out here free people. Sometimes freedom is scary. 
Sometimes freedom is scary. And so I'm reminded in this story that it is possible to be free, but desire bondage. And Paul says, I don't want you to go back into bondage. Christ has made you free. Now, there were people coming in at this day and hour, and they were trying to bring the people of God back into bondage. And they were saying, if you're really, truly a follower of Jesus Christ, then you'll obey the law and you'll be circumcised. And and uh, this was not something that they were just like, okay, you're an adult now. You just kind of move on from it. No, this was something that even as an adult, you would have to make happen so that you lined up with what the law was saying. And thank God for Paul who said, no, it's not going to affect anything about your standing with God. Matter of fact, if you get circumcised, what you're saying is that I don't need the grace of God. I'm going to get in this thing on my own. But what God is saying to you is I have fully paid for everything that you need to become who I have called you to be. You are now free people, not bound by the law, but you are now bound to the spirit of God and you are free in Jesus Christ. And so one of the first things I noticed that we do to go back into bondage is we we, I call it this, I call it fighting lions. One of the first things I think that robs you of your freedom in Christ is a thief of your freedom in Christ is, is fighting lions. And in Daniel chapter six, the Bible is so beautiful in that the Old Testament is such a beautiful picture of Jesus. It's such a beautiful picture of Jesus. The Old Testament, if you really look at it and you look at it in the lens of Jesus and through the eyes of Jesus, you see so much more about it. And we see that Daniel was a man who loved God and he's been taken away from his family and he is now living in bondage. And there is a king at this time, his name is Darius. And Darius has all of these people that rule the different uh, uh, provinces for him. They're called governors and none of them really like Daniel. And one of the things that they decide to do is they try to catch Daniel. They want to catch Daniel in doing something wrong so that they can throw Daniel into the lion's den and so that Daniel will be destroyed because they hate the fact that Daniel is blessed by God and loved by Darius the king. He's favored by the king. And so what happens is they decide to come up with these laws. And in this law that they write, one of the rules is that you cannot pray to any other god except for the king. You cannot pray for favor from any God except for King Darius. And so anyone who lifts their voice up to a God, to a king other than Darius, is to be thrown into the lion's den and killed. And Daniel has a decision to make. He loves Darius, and Darius loves him. But Daniel has a decision to make. Daniel decides to obey God, to do what God would have him do, and that's to pray, and to disobey the orders of the king. Well, Daniel finds himself in a predicament because as he obeys God, he disobeys the king. And the governors come to Darius and they say, Darius, Daniel has disobeyed your rules. Now they've got him, right? But Darius loves Daniel so much, he's trying to figure out a way to go around the rule book, a way to go around the law, and he can't. He's bound to it because he signed his name to it. So he can't circumvent the law. He has to obey the law. So Darius ends up sending Daniel, whom he loves, into the lion's den. But notice what Darius says while Daniel's on his way down there. He says, surely your God will honor you because you have honored him. Now listen to what happens. The Bible tells us that Daniel goes into the lion's den. 
He's there overnight. And then the next morning, Darius comes out and Darius is asking about Daniel. And he's, he's, he's speaking into the lion's den. And he says, Daniel, Daniel, are you there? Now listen to what Daniel says back to the king. Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent an angel and shut the lion's mouth so that they may not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Verse 23, so Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatever was found on him because he believed in his God. Can I tell you something? When you give yourself to Jesus, you don't have to fight lions anymore. And what God does, even though you broke the law, even though you were guilty of the law, and even though you were thrown to the lion's den, God shut the mouth of the lions over your life. So every time the law says you're not good enough, God closes the mouth of that lion and stands in front of you and says, but I'm good enough and I'm covering their sin and I'm going before them so that we can scream out, oh king, live forever. Oh king, live forever. I, I was in the lion's den, but nothing hurt me and nothing harmed me. Why? Because I was found innocent before God. Isn't this an amazing story? It's an amazing thing. So when I get saved, I don't have to fight lions anymore. Why? Because I serve the lion of the tribe of Judah. Go ahead and let the lion fight the lion. And can I tell you something about the enemy? He's not even really a lion. He is, the Bible says he is as a roaring lion. He's got a lot of bark and not a whole lot of bite. So all the enemy can do really is run his mouth. He roars a lot, but what God does is he swallows up the roars and closes the mouth of the lion and lets us walk free. I wonder if anybody in this room is thankful that I don't have to fight lions anymore. I don't have to, I don't have to fight lions anymore. So that's a thief of my freedom. It's this idea that I have to get in the, the lion's den and battle and wage war against these lions and God saying, no, just trust me. What did it say? He said, oh, king, he said, I, I've, I've done nothing wrong before you. I was found innocent before my God. And verse 23 says, so Daniel was taken up out of the den. No injury whatsoever was found on him. Why? Because he believed in his God. It's always been belief that God is after. It's never been about works. It's always been about belief. He just wants you to believe in him. Matter of fact, a group of people said to Jesus, they said, we wanna be able to work the works of God. We wanna be able to do what you do. And Jesus said, this is the work I have for you to do. Believe. That seems too easy and not that complicated. You're exactly right. Stop overcomplicating this thing. Simply believe in God and watch God do for you what only God can do. If you can do it for yourself, it doesn't require God. But anything God asks of you requires God. So I, I love it because I don't have to fight the lions. And, and if I don't have to fight lions, man, I've never fought a lion, but can you imagine the energy 
that you have to exert fighting lions? Can you imagine how much time you have to spend fighting off the lions? And, I, I, and there's a reason so many of you in this room are tired right now and you're tired of church and you're tired of Christianity. You're tired of being a Christian. You're just tired of trying to do the right thing. It's because you're fighting the lions. And you're not allowing God to fight the lions for you. You're trying to do this yourself. And you, you failed to remember that this was never designed to be something that you can do on your own anyway. You cannot do this on your own strength. You have to depend on the power of God. I love that Daniel decided to pray because when I pray, what I'm saying is, God, I want you, I need you to intervene in my life. I've come to the end of myself. I can't do this anymore. My only way out and my only option is to give it all to you. So he prayed. <laughs> Listen to this. Eternal life is something that Jesus gives freely. It's not a loan we pay back. It's a gift we receive. Very often we get saved and then all of a sudden we get a debt mentality. We think, okay, Jesus has done a lot for me. Yes, he has. And so I owe him. I need to pay him back. I'm going to spend the rest of my life trying to earn what he's done for me. And the problem with that is you, you can't make that much money. And the reason it's so frustrating and so hard to do and, and just robs you of your freedom and costs you so much energy is because you weren't made to work for what this cost. You, you can't earn this. You can't deserve this. It's freely given. Salvation is a gift from God. For the wages of sin is death. Salvation is the gift of God. It's the gift of God. So fighting lions is a freedom thief. The second one I see in my own life is success is a thief of my freedom. See, when I was, when I was younger, I, I used to, failure was, was my greatest fear. Failure was, was my greatest fear. But now that I've gotten a little older, you, do you know what my greatest fear is? Succeeding at stuff that doesn't really matter. Being successful at all the wrong things. <laughs> it is really quiet in here. And so I had to start asking myself, what am I giving my best energy to? Because success is robbing me of my freedom. The wrong idea of success is robbing you of your freedom. So I looked at my life and I was like, what am I giving my best energy to? And I discovered that I was giving my best energy to the church and giving my family leftovers. And you can judge me if you want, but you do the same thing. You give your best energy to that job and then you come home and whatever's left, you give your family. What I've, what I've discovered is that when I give my energy to the right thing, that I have more energy to do the less important things. So this, this is what I'm saying. If I give my energy to my family, then I discover that there are some places that I invest my energy that I get a return. Is anybody listening to me? There are some places that I make an investment that I get a return. And, 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 and somebody's like, yeah, but I go to work 
and I get away. That you're not getting, you're not, that's not an investment. You're not making an investment when you go to work. You're going to work and they're giving you a, a wage. You earn that. So it's you're not, you're not, it's not blessing you. No, you earn that. When, when I get to the end of the week and somebody gives me my paycheck, I don't go, man, thank you for your blessing, Lord. No, I earn that. Y'all aren't listening to me. You're trying to be too spiritual. You're trying to think on too high of a level right now. Can I just tell you, I, you went to work 40 hours this week, and, and the, it would be, if, if, if they added 500 extra dollars on your check, then you could say, thank you for your blessing, Lord. But if they gave you 437.26, and they took out, $65 for your health care and $165.38. I'm telling y'all what I used to make. I'll make that anymore. I can't pay for children for 36 weeks. But this is my hospital check. But then the, and then the government takes 165.28. Thank you for your blessing, Lord. No, you earned that. But there is an, when I invest in my kids, I get a return on that investment that far outweighs. Listen, if I'll give my kids an hour, imagine the return on that investment into my child's life. There are conversations that you haven't had with your kids that you need to have. And if you will just give them that 20 minutes of investment, it will pay off in a lifetime of obedience. Somebody's got to hear me today because you're succeeding at the wrong stuff. Bible tells us, it says this, that the blessing of the Lord makes one rich and he adds no sorrow to it. Can I, can I, can I tell you another thing to stop thanking God for? Stop thanking God for your debt. This is so good. Eric, I'm just gonna have to talk to you this morning. So when, so when you're like, Jesus, bless me with this house. No, your 720 credit score blessed you with that house. Because, oh my goodness. Because, listen, this is the thing about when we, when we buy something with debt, Right? is we're happy about it until the first payment comes due. But the blessing of the Lord makes one rich and he adds no sorrow to it. Stop thanking God for debt. I'm not saying don't get a loan. I got a loan to get my house. I got a loan to get my car. I ain't got it like that yet. But can I tell you where I'm rich? Even if you take my house and you take my car, can I tell you where I'm rich? I'm rich in kids. I'm rich in family. I'm rich in church relationships. I'm rich in things you cannot put a price tag on. And every time I make an investment, it makes a return that is overwhelming in my life. So stop succeeding at the wrong stuff. <laughs> Man, I, I met a guy this year, not this year, last year, Absolutely changed my life. I don't know if you've ever heard him. Uh, his name's Bob Goff. 
I don't know if you've ever heard of Bob Goff, but if, if there's one book I could ever recommend for a Christian to read, this would be the book I would recommend for you to read. It's by Bob Goff, it's called Love Does. And Bob Goff said something so incredible that set me free in my relationships with people. He, he, he made this statement and it just completely transformed my relationships with people. He said, I used to wanna fix people, now I just wanna be with them. Man, I'm starting to discover with just with my wife and, and my kids, this is, this is my family, I'm just doing my own little experiment, that the more time I spend with them, the more they begin to do the things that I would desire to see in their life. Because this is the thing, they cannot reflect what they cannot see. (laughs) You got it? So this is what I'm saying to you. The only way your, your children begin to reflect your character is they have to see you more. Wow. text message won't fix it. A phone call isn't gonna change anything. They've gotta be able to see you to look like you. (laughs) See, it's it's the same thing with Jesus. We will never follow him closely if we don't see him clearly. Because you can't go in a direction you can't see. And so we've got to remain close to Jesus. Thank God that when we draw near to him, he draws near to us. And thank God that before I ever drew near to him, he drew near to me in salvation. And so in order for me to be like him, I have to see him. And for your kids, in order for them to be like you and do the thing that's in your heart for them to do, they have to be around you. You you cannot give your life to be a successful business person and barely be there for your kids and expect good results. But you're like, but I'm out there working hard. They, They can't see that. You know what they'd rather have? You, can I tell you? They'd rather instead of you struggling so hard to make that mortgage on that house that you can't afford, they'd rather you work a job that allows you to see them even if it required living in an apartment for a little while until you, is this too real? Because I'm just not interested in this idea that, that, that we can just come to church and just get a little shout on and a little praise on and that's gonna change our life. No, the word of God that really impacts us is available to us. A lot of people have been wondering, what do I do? And we're waiting for checks to fly out of the sky and for all of this stuff to just mysteriously start to happen. And God is saying, I've given you some tools. I've given you some wisdom in my word. If you'll use it, it will absolutely transform and change your life. But if you wanna continue the way you've been going, then do that. But there is a way the Bible says that seems right unto a man, but it leads to destruction. 
You're like, man, Rob, I thought this was going to be like a freedom sermon. I'm trying to help you get free. Trying to help you because you're bound by this idea. I got to be successful. I got to, I got to make it. That's what our culture teaches us. We got to make it. I got to be somebody. And you're like, but I'm burnt out. It's just so many burnt out people and burnt out and Christian should not go together. I'm burnt out. No, 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 no. You're not burnt out. Can I tell you today? You're like, I'm burnt out. I'm tired. No, no. It's, it's, can I tell you, it's not that you're doing too much. You're like, I'm doing too much. No, it's not that you're doing too much. It's that you're doing the wrong things. Because there are things that you do that actually give you life and more energy. <laughs> I learned this when I started going to the gym. I thought, I thought for the first few weeks, I thought, I hate this. This actually makes me tired, more tired than I was. But I started to discover that it actually was doing something in my body. It was taking me some time to get over the fact that I hadn't been doing anything with my body for a long time. And my body was like, wow, this is new. I haven't experienced this in 20 years. What's this all about? I need a nap. <laughs> but then all of a sudden I discovered, wait a second, now I've got energy. I don't know if, if, if you remember this, but two years ago, I would be preaching and I would, I would go and listen back to the, to the messages. And in a moment like this, where I'm raising my voice and I'm walking around like this, I would be like this. <sighs> I was about to die up here in the pulpit preaching. Why? Because there was an area of my life that was just out of order. And so I didn't have the energy to do the thing that I needed to do because I wasn't doing the thing I needed to do. And so what we have to understand is there are things that we do that actually give us more energy to do the thing that we're actually called to do. Can somebody say amen in this place today? You're like, well, give me, give me Bible for it. Can I? Can I give you Bible for it? In John chapter four, the disciples and Jesus are going through a town, Samaria. And the Bible says that they were hungry. And so they went into town, the disciples did, to get food for Jesus. They were all just weary from their journey. So they, they go into town, they, they get some food and they come back. And Jesus has been there talking with this woman at the well. And you know the story. She, if, if you don't, this is what happens. She meets Jesus at this well and he tells her, hey, you know, I'm what you're looking for. You've been looking for water, but I'm real water. I'm a water that if you'll drink from me, you'll never be thirsty. Again, he gives her this water. She gets excited. She leaves her water bucket because now she's full. She doesn't need. Okay, there's a lot of revelation in there. I don't have time to preach. But she runs into town, and as she's in town, they, they, they start to walk back. And when they're walking back, the disciples are asking Jesus, um, we got you some food. And he says, I'm not hungry. And they look around like, did somebody get him something to eat? Did you give him a Snickers bar while I wasn't looking? What happened? And he says this, he says, I have food that you don't know anything about. My food is to do the will of my father and complete the thing that he sent me to do in this, in this earth. Isn't that amazing? So he literally forgot his natural hunger because he was doing a spiritual thing. 
Like, no, no, just, that was, that was just Jesus, only Jesus can do that. No, 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 Jesus, he was fully human. He was hungry, but he forgot about his natural hunger because it had been filled with a spiritual meal. <laughs> it's amazing. Some people are looking for satisfaction in all of the wrong places. And what we do very often is when life gets tough, do you know some of the, the first things we actually do stop doing? When it gets tight in our finances, we actually, we, we keep paying the bills, but we stop giving. Wow. Or if it gets real tight and we're, we're stretched for time, we stop serving at church, but we keep going to work. And it's like God saying, you're quitting all the wrong things. <laughs> we... We keep doing all the wrong things and quit all the right things. Success, man, success. I, I just, I wrote these down. I heard these uh, about three years ago. I wanted to share these with you. I probably have shared this before, but just some, just some thoughts about success. Um, just, some, just some thoughts. Some things that Jesus was for us and is for us so that we're free to be. Is this okay? So let me give you these, okay? The first one is this, because Jesus was strong for me I am free to be weak. I can't be everything for everybody. I'm, I'm free to be weak. I'm free to have moments where I say, you know what, I just can't. Glory to God. Because Jesus won for me, I am free to lose. <laughs> I don't have to beat you to prove I'm worthy. Wow. Because Jesus was someone, I'm free to be no one. <laughs> this is awesome. Because sometimes you go to church and it's like, God's called you to change the world. And you're thinking, I'm just a mechanic. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I'm a stay-at-home mom. <laughs> you are, actually. You, you are just in your way. I think we get so obsessed with the extraordinary that we miss the supernatural in the ordinary. There's supernatural in every job represented in here. If it's God-honoring, not that thing that you do out of the trunk of your car, but I'm talking about, because <laughs> belong, believe, become. There's a lot of people just, hey, I'm here, hey, I belong. That's not right. But that thing that, that you do that honors God as a nurse or a cashier, or whatever your occupation is, there's supernatural in what you think is ordinary. It's, it's actually extraordinary. When you do it as unto the Lord, the Bible says it's not about what you do, but whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. Be a cashier as unto the Lord. Be a nurse as unto the Lord. Be a doctor as unto the Lord. Be a mechanic as unto the Lord. Wash cars as unto the Lord. And watch God begin to do supernatural things in what you consider ordinary. 
Because not everybody is going to be on TV. There's only so many hours in a day for shows. And I know they got networks all over the place. There's Hulu and Amazon and Netflix and every, everybody's got a TV show now. But can I tell you something? Not everybody's gonna be on TV. Not everybody's gonna get 15 minutes of fame. Not everybody's gonna win America's Got Talent. Not everybody's gonna make it. And you're okay if you don't. <laughs> wow. So because Jesus was extraordinary, I'm free to be ordinary. My worth is not determined by my followers, but my family. Do you know, there's a lot of people really want it. They want to be a hero. They want to, you know, we live in a culture that's really obsessed with superheroes, and I love superhero movies. I love it. And I think in all of us, we want to be somebody's hero. But I think in the fight to be a hero, we miss out on actually being the hero to the people that really matter to us. And so I wanna be famous, absolutely. I just wanna be famous in my own home. I wanna be a superstar to my kids. I want when my kids, to, when they think of me and Justin Bieber, they think my dad <laughs> is a bigger deal than Justin Bieber. Because you know what? Justin Bieber didn't put shoes on your feet. You know what? Justin Bieber didn't talk to you when you were going through that situation. Justin Bieber didn't talk to you when your girlfriend broke up with you. I know he might have sung a song, but that was some other girl that he was talking about. <laughs> Justin Bieber didn't pick you up when you fell off of your bicycle. Dad did that. <laughs> hmm. Third thing I see, compromise. Compromise is robbing you of your freedom. Galatians chapter five, verses 13 through 14, the Bible says this, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. First Peter, Peter reiterates this in First Peter 2, 13 through 17, he says, submit yourself Selfs for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether the emperor and the supreme authority for, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. It says this, live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. One of the greatest keys to living right, living holy lives is loving other people more than yourself. Because if you love your wife more than you love you, you won't cheat. But if you love you more than you love her, you will cheat. If you love if you love that person at the department store more than you love you, you won't steal from them. But if you love you more than them, you'll steal. That's why Galatians says, the entire law is summed up in keeping this command, love. Love your neighbor as yourself. I'm able to do what's right when I love other people more than I love me. 
And the reason this makes us so tired, listen to what Proverbs 28 and one says. It says, the wicked flee, though no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. In other words, when you're living a life of compromise, you're running and nobody's chasing you. No wonder you're tired. You're constantly on the run. Isaiah 59, one through two says this, behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor is ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities, your sins have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he cannot hear. Now listen to this. It is not saying that God hides his face from us. Listen to what it says. Your sins have hidden his face from you. In other words, your sin isn't keeping God from loving you or hearing you or reaching out to you. Your sin is keeping you from hearing God, reaching out to God. That's what sin does. That's why it's draining you. That's why it's robbing you of your freedom. It's not that God's gonna come back and he was like, oh, that's sin, I can't, just not enough forgiveness left, I'm sorry. No, God is going to forgive you. God loves you and will always love you. But what sin does is it makes you think that something is, and it is. Your iniquities are keeping you from God and hiding his face from you. Amazing. Compromises, destroying you. It's robbing you. The last thing I wanted to share with you is this, voices. Voices, John chapter 10, verses four through five, when he had brought out all his own, Jesus is, is delivering this story about sheep and, and gates, and it's, it's amazing. But listen to this, John 10, four through five, it says, when he had brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and then his sheep follow him, because they know his voice. But they never will follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Voices. Who, who is the premier voice in your life? And who are the other voices you're allowing into your life? Because listen, Whoever gets your, gets your ear, I've said this to you before, whoever gets your ear shapes your life. Whoever you listen to controls the way you think and the way you think, Proverbs says, as a man thinks in his own heart, so is he. What are the voices? Who is the voice that you're allowing in your life? Listen to this in Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. There's a blind man, his name's Bartimaeus. And the Bible says that he's, he hears that Jesus is passing by and so he begins to call out to Jesus. And as he's calling out to Jesus, voices start to, to erupt. Hey, stop, hey, be quiet, hey, leave him alone. Hey, don't talk to the master, hey, he's busy. He doesn't have time for you. Sit down. And I love that he doesn't listen to those voices, but he keeps crying out even louder. And then all of a sudden the Bible says something so awesome, it says Jesus stops and he calls him. Jesus didn't actually call him. Jesus did call him, but Jesus asked his disciples to call him, and so his disciples called him and said, come to Jesus. Now, this is what happens. This is what happens in life. 
is God uses people. So God says you're called, but when God says you're called, sometimes he'll speak that calling into somebody else's life. But this is the thing. You have to remember who called you. Not the human that called you, but the God that called you. Because when all of the other voices grow silent in your life, if you stop, if they stop calling you, then you'll think God abandoned you. But God isn't, he hasn't stopped calling you because other people have stopped calling you. His call is still there. His call is still there. And so he calls him. And when he calls him, he comes to him and he tells him, hey, your faith has made you whole. One of the things I've always wondered about this story, and I didn't even look it up until this morning, I actually wondered what in the world, why in the world does it say Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus? Why does it tell us who his father is? If you look up the, the name of his dad, you know what his dad's name means? Highly valued. You have a son of a valuable man sitting begging in the street. And I don't know what it was. Maybe he just all of a sudden decided, you know what, today I'm not going to listen to those voices that are telling me to be quiet, that I belong in the state of being a beggar. I'm going to listen to my dad who was a highly valued man. I come from value. I come from great worth. I don't belong in this street begging for food and begging for money. My father is highly valued. And so I wonder if something on the inside of him just said, you know what? I'm gonna be who my dad said I could be. Even though I'm blind, even though I'm not in the condition that people think I should be, I'm gonna be who my dad said I could be. And I wonder if that day he stood up and for the first time in his life began to walk in the fullness of what his father's name meant for his life. And Jesus said, your faith has made you whole. I wonder if there's anybody in this room today who would stand on your feet and say, I don't belong begging in these streets. I don't belong in this condition. My father is highly valued. My father is highly valued. Hallelujah. 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 Father, in Jesus' name.